0: Good morning, and I'm getting better at getting everything in sequence here as we remove the mask and get the mic on and stuff. Good to see everyone, Kathy. Great to see you here. Um, please know we pray for you. You are loved, and uh, but it's just so good to have you here with us. So bless you. Um, I always, I always chuckle when. Tab prays that for for me as I speak, because uh, I'm actually praying. Or what I'm praying for you is that the Jesus way will be will provoke you, that you'll be provoked, not by my teaching, but that by the way that Jesus calls us to walk. Um, my the intention of my teachings is to do just that—to provoke. Because I find as I go as I read the Gospels, and that that's just what it does. Because I tend to want to go this way, and Jesus is saying, not this way, Scott, this way. So with that in mind, um, we're on a series right now called Reset, and the whole intention behind it is we find ourselves in a place where everything is topsy-turvy and all over the place. And how do you find that normal? How do you find rhythm? How do you find rhythm in, in the place of when the world seems to be upside down, when we can't, we don't know what next month is going to look like, exactly, because of uh, the way things are right now in the world. How do you find that? And what, what you see with Jesus is calling us, the word calls us back to some, there's, there's what I would call essentials or core practices that the church even established right at the very when it was birthed. And uh, so that's what we're doing over the next just two, three weeks now uh, left in this series. And we're basing it from uh, Acts 2.42, and I'll touch on that shortly. Uh, My question to you, I'm sure most of you have heard of the important urgent principle. Does that ring a bell when you hear that? Does it ring a bell? Well, let me share with you. The important urgent principle was developed by a former U.S. president, uh, Eisenhower. And it was the whole idea that people myself included, uh, tend to... The reason we're not as productive in doing what we do, whether it's in our lives or at work, is because the urgent things tend to overwhelm the important things or we let them overwhelm the important things. As a result, the important things don't get done. We're always moving to the beat of the uh, urgent things. And his uh, Eisenhower's mantra was... What's important is seldom urgent, and what is urgent is seldom important. And so this has become a well-known um, principle. And in his book, not Eisenhower's, but Eugene Peterson's book, he wrote a book for pastors called The Contemplative Pastor. And he talks about that whole Principle for pastors that he himself would always struggle as a pastor. He would struggle with uh, keeping the urgent things at bay, <laughs> while trying to attend to intentionally pay attention to what's important. And he told he tells pastors in this book that they need to see. Now, this book was written back in, I believe, in the eighties, even probably before then, maybe. But he tells pastors, think of your daytimer or your calendar. As and it's tongue-in-cheek, as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God's given to you. And he uses the example of, he says, one of the things pastors will run into is they may want to take their spouse out for lunch that day, uh, the day that they're working, right? Let's go for lunch. And then later in the morning, a phone call comes in, and a parishioner wants to meet with them because there's something that they really need to meet with the pastor about. And could I come by at lunch hour because that's when I'm off? and and not wanting to disappoint the pastor shares with them though that well I had plan to go out with my wife for lunch and that. and they say yeah but this is really important I really need to talk to you because going out for your lunch you can do that anytime right and so usually the, past, the pastors will cave and 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 go out because they don't want to disappoint the person the person and Eugene Peterson says what you need to do is if you're going to go for lunch with your wife, put that in your calendar. Then when someone calls up and says, "Can I meet with you because it's so important?" you can look at you can say, "Well, actually, that time is already booked. I already have an appointment then." And people will understand because you're a busy person, right? That was the whole thing that he said that Peterson was trying to get at was this whole thing of there are things that are important, that are easily can get pushed aside by those things we believe are urgent. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave a mandate to his followers to go into all the world and to teach people what he had taught them to make disciples. And his followers at that time, so you imagine their followers have been with Jesus for three years now. So there's there's probably a bit of a dependency on having Jesus there. And now they don't have Jesus in the physical they do have the Holy Spirit, but not Jesus in the physical. And you can imagine Jesus is gone. And the thought would have crept in some of them possibly. Now what do we do? <laughs> Panic setting. What do we do? How do we do this? How do we go into all the world? Why didn't he just start with like, little Jerusalem? Start there. And we'll work there. We don't have to do the whole world, right? You know, Because how do we reach everybody? Where do we start? What ministries do we do? What programs do we do? Sounds very similar to sometimes what we get caught up in ourselves. And there would have been this, there could have been this panic. But instead, one of the things they would have learned was to trust the Holy Spirit and to give their attention to what is truly important. And in Acts 2.42, they laid out the important things. And it's not necessarily what we would think are important. They laid out the apostles' teaching, life together, What's that, right? Uh, The common meal, eating, and prayers. Those are the four things that they said, these things we are going to commit to. These are the things we're going to put in our lives that are important. The practice we're going to look at this week is the practice of the life together. What is that? Is there a ministry? Is there a ministry leader who oversees life together? What is that anyway? In the, the Greek word that gets used is koinonia. You've probably heard it. There's some churches that are named after that. And in the, if you translate that into the, into the English, the word that gets primarily used is Fellowship but the word that he uses, that koinonia, it's an intentionally organic gathering, meshing of people's lives together. And in the early church, they, it would have t- taken place in their day-to-day lives, but in homes, right? It, it was never the intention, although there's nothing wrong with this, for, for believers to build a building. And inside that building, allocate one large room that's called the fellowship hall. And that's where fellowship takes place. That was not the intention behind it. And... uh It was simply doing life together. We would call it maybe hanging out. (laughs) And the reason we struggle with that is because how productive is that? Like, can anything productive come from just hanging out? Well, they believe it can. They believe it can. Now, we are heavily influenced by our Western culture. We just are. Because we live here. This is what we were born into. And sometimes, so we struggle with this concept because there's so many things screaming for our attention. Right? Like this thing, this thing, depending on how you set it up, will demand your attention. Look at me. Look at me. Ding, ding, ding. Buzz, buzz. Notification. Right? All these things. I want your attention now. Right, it's it's our life, and there's activities that we attend to. There's jobs. There's and life can be so busy that we. And what's interesting is the things that we know are important. We push those things aside. We push them aside, so that we can attend to this. <laughs> That's why when they first came out, you know, they' I'd be meeting with people, and. We'd be talking, and would, the phone would buzz, and they would look at it while they're talking to me, <laughs> right? It demands attention, and we get distracted, right? The church embraces it, too. We use language such as mission-driven or purpose-driven, right? And we have this—we we see what other churches are doing, and we should do that. And look, they got a bigger sign than we. we got to get a big sign, and there's this thing of urgency, and what gets sacrificed are the important things. Why? Not sure I do it, and I, and I don't know why that happens, right? But, and so we come to life together, and that whole thought of, gosh, I, I, I could be doing something that's more profitable for me, right, and just hanging out. Like, I don't, I don't really have time for that, right? I should put it in my calendar, see if I can fit it in, squeeze it in. Because even even in a group, to just hang out. Like, sometimes in our home church, and I don't know if others are like this as well, but sometimes when we're just chatting about cats and dogs in our lives, and, you know, the whatever, right? Life and the color of the leaves and how pretty things are, and you wonder, is this really... Is this really what we should, shouldn't we be doing like Bible study or like get down to prayer or, or do ministry or evangelize or, you know, like there's this, there's this underneath, there's this need to, I gotta, I, we need to do something, right? Do something. And I wonder sometimes if that we, we get caught up in that because there's a need to validate my worth or my purpose or even my existence. Like I should be, I just can't be just sitting, can I, I can't just be doing that. So, you got to ask the question why would they make life together one of the core practices? Why? Why would they do that? Why life together? And here's what I believe people, for the most part, we want to grow up. We're always in the process of growing up, we want to get better. That's why self-help books are so popular. That's why if you have a documentary on how to overcome this or that or how to deal with this, we're attracted to that because we want to improve as human beings. And that translates also as a follower of Jesus. We want to improve. We want to become more like Jesus, we say. We want to mature both as a follower and as a human being. That's our Tended desire. Here's the thing. Life together as Jesus meant it, and what I say, it is the crucible which will grow and mature us as followers of Jesus and as human beings. The crucible, it's that thing, because here's the thing. Love, loving, learning to love as Jesus intended, as God intended for love to occur. It's simple, not easy. Not easy at all. We all know that. It's hard at times. It's very hard. It's a challenge. Why? Isn't it funny how families, here's just something, families. I don't know what your family's like. But usually in families, siblings and parents, there are different personalities. And when you bring them together and they have to live in that same house, there's conflict, right? Because that person, they they just irritate me. You know, everything they do just drives me nuts, right? Or you get together with a large family gathering. Is so-and-so going to be there? Oh, man. Right, Because our tendency is we want people who are like me, who think like me, who act like me, because I can love them so much easier. And that's, what, that's never what God intended, right? That's never what God had intended. So the life together, what it does when, when I am with people who, don't, who aren't like me, it places me into a fertile environment from which I can begin to exercise my love muscle. Because it's hard to love people who aren't like me. That's hard. That's not, it's not easy. And if you think heaven is going to be where everyone's going to think like you, no, it's not. We're going to keep our personalities, right? We're going we're to do that, right? Right? And this whole thing of life together, when you are with people who are not like you, think of your family, when you are with people like that, you do come to a place in the road where you have one of two choices, like a fork in the road, where you have one of two choices to make when there's conflict rises up. One, I'm going to leave. I'm going to find people who I like and who like me. And we'll get along really well. We'll have a great time together. Or the other choice you can take is, I'm going to stay. And and I'm going to learn the Jesus way. And here's the Jesus way, by the way. The Jesus way is learning the art of submitting to the other. And that's a call for all people, for everyone. The art of submitting to one another. Because as I learn to submit to you, I also am submitting to God, to God's way, to the Jesus way. I'm submitting to that. And submitting is just simply preferring the other, considering the other. A lot of times it's just listening and appreciating their perspective. It's simple, hard, hard to get there, really hard to get there. But it's the Jesus way. Now here's a game changer statement Jesus made. And Matthew records this. And thank you, Matthew, for recording this, getting this down. This is Matthew in Matthew 12. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. And Jesus asked, uh, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And in that statement, Jesus redefines what family is. He redefines it. It's not just our little inner circle. Because what Jesus has done there is he's created space for people who are Lonely, for the people who are outcast, marginalized. You know, he has created space for everyone, for for everybody. And he creates an environment where every person, every human being belongs. John, in his gospel, right in the first chapter, verse 14, John says. So the word became human, that's Jesus, and made his home among us. And in that, it's a message from God that says, I belong, you belong, we all belong. That's what God says to us, that you belong. You pay attention to Jesus' parables, and his parables that Jesus tells are parables of Inviting people to a banquet table. Inviting people to come. Why? Because from Jesus' perspectives, they belong. You belong. We belong. Right? That's that's the message that God has for us. And as God created it for us, here's the other Jesus way. We are to create it for others. And that is about life together about being willing to come together as we are, as we are. God's kingdom is a kingdom of life together. God's kingdom, by the way, isn't going to be just like people like me. I wish it was sometimes, because <laughs> then we'd be really happy, right? <laughs> but I have to learn, I want to grow up. i told Jesus I want to grow up. I'm having a hard time. I'm running out of time. <laughs> but I want to grow up. When I pray, when we pray, we, and we all know this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, Lord. Yes, let your will be done. And we sit back and we go, God, you know, I just I just pray. Just help all my family to be start behaving and be like me. Would you just let your kingdom come, Lord, and change people? Change them so that I can like them. That's not it at all. It's not it at all. Because Jesus also said that the kingdom of God is where? Within me. I pray that God is asking me to intentionally step into the way of Jesus, to intentionally step there, to choose to intentionally be with others. Because it's by choosing to intentionally be with others that I choose to live the kingdom right here, right now, on earth as it is in heaven. We don't sit back and just let the kingdom. We also bring the kingdom. We be the kingdom. Simple, not easy. Not easy at all. And Jesus told us it wouldn't be easy told us that. It's when we can gather together as a diverse people and choose to love and submit to one another that we will then begin to marvel at the uniqueness of different people. There's actually something beautiful about listening to other people's ideas or thoughts or opinions or perspectives, the gifts they bring that you don't bring. It's wonderful. It's wonderful, and it's God's gift to us. It's a gift that, God's, that God gives us. Because when that happens, when we can come and learn to submit to one another and prefer the other, seriously, the fragrance of love is released in the room. And it thrills God. And when that occurs, what's taking place is this, is harmony. Paul mentions this at times. It's mentioned in the Old Testament at times. But this word harmony that is used is not when people who are all all like me come together and get along really well. Harmony is this beautiful thing of one submitting to the other. Right? Think musically. Harmony isn't taking that guitar and just putting all D strings on there. You could, you could, because D is nice, right? D we can get along with. Those other ones we can't, right? That, that wouldn't make sense. Because where harmony takes, well, you know, when someone plays or when people are singing, you can tell when harmony exists. It's good for the soul. It feels good. It feels Right? Here's a question. Can you tell when it's disharmony? Oh, yeah, yeah it's what I he hears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. You can go, uh, something's off there. Right? That's disharmony, right? Harmony is when we come together. We're, we are like strings on a guitar, so to speak, right? I'm in an E. Tab's a C. I don't know. Just making that up, right? But you know what I mean? We're different. But there's beauty in that. There's beauty. It's, what, it's what's intended. And it's pleasing to God. Very pleasing. David wrote a psalm, wrote a poem about this very fact. And David writes, and this is 133, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Well known German theologian back in the. Uh, early 20th century, the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In the mid-30s, he spent time with other seminarians in, I believe it was in the city of Finkenwald, in Germany there. And it was this whole thing of what does it mean to live together, to be together? And from his experience and what he learned there as he led the seminarians and students in this journey, he wrote a book called Life Together, and uh, I want to read an excerpt there just from his book, because Dietrich came to the conclusion that this was so essential, and now what Dietrich understood, he understood what was taking place in the world and how things were becoming stressful and how things were becoming, it was going to be harder and harder to become a follower of Jesus. It was just, it was in that time when, you know, the Hitler was rising up to power, and he realized the importance and the value of life together. It's just like what we've experienced, you know, when we've had to social distance, you know, isolate. We all of a sudden realize being together, that is so important. And for those who are watching, if you're feeling healthy and you want to have something that's just good for your soul, join us on a Sunday. Seriously, because it's just, as we were just worshiping here in the present, it was just like, this feels so good for my soul today. Just feels so good. I just need it, right? Just need it. But let me read to you just a little bit, just a wee little bit here, what Dietrich has to say. The prisoner, the sick person, The Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. Visitor and visited in loneliness recognize in each other the Christ who is present in the body. They receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence, humility, and joy. And they receive each other's benedictions as the benediction of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if there is, but if there is so much blessing and joy even in a single encounter of brother with brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. Did you hear what he said there? That we're privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. And he goes on, It is true, of course, that what is, uns- what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that may any day be taken away from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life, that's us, with other Christians, praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. It is, it's a, it's a gift. It's a gift. And we can't let the urgent things push that out. We need that. We need each other. We absolutely do. At this point, I just want to, you to turn your attention to the screens there. Just a short video and then I'm gonna close in prayer. Go now in the joy of knowing that you have been included. Included at the table. Included at God's table. Included in our common life, included in the life of God, in the life shared by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's sing, sing, let's sing for joy, for joy, for joy. Go in the joy of knowing that you have been included in the inner life of the God who is love. Go. Go. Find joy in telling others that they too are included. May God be gracious to us, make His face shine down. May God be gracious to us and make His ways known. Let's sing. Let's sing. go. Let's find sing joy in bringing all joy. to God's table. Do not be afraid, joy for, joy. for God has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Louder. you are included Louder. Louder. May God be gracious to us. Make His face shine down. Let's pray. Father. what can we say? We thank you, Lord, that your desire is for us to gather around your table, to gather around you, to that you draw us in because you love us. And, as, Father, as, as you've done this for us, we hear your call to do it to one another and to do it to all others, to invite, to, to value the importance of being together of brother and sister, of our physical beings. Because, Lord, we know our time here on earth is brief. Things can be taken away from us. And so, Father, we ask that you would, I pray that you would speak to each person that is watching and to every person that is here right now. And that, Father, that you would just, that, Lord, they would hear that word to them, that you belong. You belong. And so, Father, we pray your will be done. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We thank you for the kingdom that is within us and the kingdom that is coming. We look forward to that day, Lord, when you everything, Lord, will be, will be brought to its peak, its summit, when you have your people together, gathered together. And so, Father, we just give you joy We give you praise for your gracious love to us. We say, come Holy Spirit. Amen.